can't be neutral on the moving train. I told y'all before. You can't believe everything that your teacher tell you. Who was your teacher? Your teacher just learned what they was taught. How do you know what they was taught was correct? Welcome to You Can't Be Neutral, a political podcast inspired by Howard Zinn and progressive and radical activism, taking a look at society, media, and politics. You can check out youcan'tbeneutral.com where you'll find all the back episodes of You Can't Be Neutral. You'll also find some links there. There's a link there to send me a message, and there's some links there to make a donation. You can make a one-time or recurring donation to keep this podcast free and independent. Music touches virtually all of our lives in a variety of different ways. Uh, Back in my youth, you could pay a penny, get on uh, the Columbia House um, subscription, and get sent new music every month, ultimately for which you'll pay much more than a penny. Uh, But the 8-tracks are largely gone. The cassettes are only only still around in a marginal way. Vinyl's seeing a comeback. Uh, CDs are even, even, you know, falling way behind from where they used to be as far as ways people obtain their music. And really the dominant way that many people are obtaining music these days is through streaming services where you pay a monthly fee and you have relatively open and unlimited access to all the music in that streaming services catalog. As this transition has happened, it's really done a lot to harm the people that actually create the music. And there's a number of different ways that happens and we're going to take a look at that in this episode um first up is a piece published at the union of musicians.org this is a group that is focused on musician rights um there was a report uh put out by the united nations the um wipo which is world intellectual property organization is part of the United Nations, released a report on the streaming economy. It's a big, long, detailed report, and the Union of Musicians has summarized the main points, and even this summary is pretty extensive. It's broken down into three sections, the first of which is the problems. Streaming is dominating the music industry. Streaming now represents a majority percentage of global music revenue, capturing a whopping 62% share in 2020. And that market share is increasing dramatically every year. Streaming revenues grew by 22.9% in 2019 to $11.4 billion globally and a further 19.9% in 2020 to $13.4 billion. During that same span, 
the revenue share of downloads, such as purchases from Bandcamp or from iTunes, has decreased by about 15 to 20% year over year. Income from physical sales represented 21.6% of the total music market in 2019 and just 19.5% in 2020. Streaming then is growing every year and replacing all other forms of income for artists. Quote, Global recorded music revenues have grown six consecutive years to a total of $21.6 billion in 2020, a substantial growth rate even in the pandemic. This streaming-fueled success has not trickled down to the performers, especially non-featured performers. The more global revenues surge, the harder it is for performers to understand why the imbalance is fair. Because it's not. As this study argues, per-stream payments for interactive streaming are so small that even for unsigned feature performers who collect 100% of the available streaming royalty, royalty payments are both unsustainable and out of balance compared to the value transferred to the streaming services. The existing inequality has attracted considerable attention and frustration from performers who ask why does everyone in the streaming economy seem to be prospering except performers whose work drives it all. The imbalance is particularly acute in the COVID-19 era and is likely to remain due to the long-term economic scarring of the creative community by the pandemic. As the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers UMAW has argued, streaming services like Spotify are simply not fairly paying artists, and the UN report agrees. According to the report, streaming companies' market valuations have risen to billions, while the vast majority of artists whose work is on these platforms are making little to no income from streaming. In 2021, while musicians were facing economic devastation due to COVID, Spotify tripled in valuation to $66.9 billion. Major labels who make special closed-door deals with the streaming companies are earning approximately $1 million per hour from music streaming alone, according to a report from Music Business Worldwide. Meanwhile, the average rate per stream for artists on Spotify, the dominant streaming service, is only about $0.0038. That is, no dollars no dimes, no pennies. It's like 0.38 of a penny. And that number has been decreasing even as Spotify's value has increased. This table shows a decline of the average payout per stream over the years. In 2018, Spotify paid an average of 0.0054 per stream which went down to 0.0037 in 2019, then to 0.0037, under a third of a cent in 2020, a decline of 43% over two years. Amazon's decline, the largest, was only slightly more so at 46%. Not only does this indicate an obvious loss of musicians' income, but it also shows how streaming practices are leading to the devaluation of music. Payments are so paltry that many performers are simply quitting. According to a survey taken by 5,800 artists in Europe, 90% of performers indicate that the streaming market has given them no meaningful return in income. 
Polls in the UK and Sweden reveal that one in three musicians are planning to quit their profession. Music recording is expensive and time-consuming, and as musicians' incomes continue to dwindle, it could regress from a viable occupation to an amateur practice only the wealthy can enjoy. Quote, One question for policymakers is whether creators in all categories are to become hobbyists out of necessity due to the streaming imbalance. Streaming is quite literally destroying music. Current streaming payouts give nothing to non-featured performers. The report repeatedly highlights that non-featured performers receive absolutely no compensation from streaming platforms. What is a non-featured performer? As a report explains, quote, Performers of sound recordings can be divided into two primary categories, featured and non-featured. Featured performers are associated by name with the exploitation of the sound recording, concerned whether as an individual solo artist or as part of a group artist. Featured performers typically perform concert tours to support their marketing and sales of their recordings. Non-featured performers are the musicians and vocalists other than the featured artist who perform on the recording and typically do not necessarily tour with the featured performer. Many working musicians, then, are non-featured performers, and they are paid literally nothing on streaming platforms. In many countries, non-featured performers are paid royalties based on radio play, and in the U.S., they are paid for play on satellite radio. Streaming services, however, claim they are a different form of listening and so have been able to circumvent paying anything to non-featured musicians. Spotify has been particularly misleading about its royalty payment system and its overall economics. Like other tech companies such as Amazon or Uber, Spotify is more focused on market valuation than actually turning a profit selling their products. Much of the company's immense market value as a company is derived derived from data collection, stock sales, and investments, but none of this value has translated to payments to artists. Spotify pays royalties by dividing out their monthly service revenue. This is not their total revenue, but rather a negotiated amount that excludes data-related fees or sales of user data, playlist branding fees, and all monies related to the trading of the company's shares and the company's valuation. So when Spotify claims they pay artists a high percentage of their revenues, they are outright lying, as they are excluding huge categories of money coming into the company. If we really wanted to correctly calculate Spotify's quote earnings, and thus what they owe artists, we would need to look at the value of all the data and the market share they have collected. For example, Spotify pays 63% of its earnings on the free and premium tiers of the app, but this does not account for the value these algorithms and market share provide to the value of the company as a whole and its investors. Guess who has no access to these markets and the payouts that come from investing in them? The users and performers whose data and work created all this value in the first place have no access to these markets and the payouts that come from investing them. Artists see none of the immense profit created through data collection, stock sales, and investments, but artists provide all of the labor that creates that wealth. Artist tracks, for instance, enable Spotify to collect valuable data on listeners, 
but Spotify gives artists no compensation for this exploitation. Musicians' labor is used and uncompensated. Quote, Platforms use fans as assets to build personalized offers based on user tastes, preferences, and behaviors that powers algorithms to extract, extract information by creating consumer profiles, later used to customize the services offered. Platforms do not compensate performers for these efforts or the valuable data they extract, yet attracting fans is a major factor driving valuation metrics such as the average revenue per user, monthly active users, and the ratio between subscriber lifetime value and subscriber acquisition costs. Spotify's quote, loud and clear website, supposedly built to clarify payment structures amidst backlash from musicians and fans, does not acknowledge this discrepancy. Quote, Spotify's total payout to artists is not a percentage of its total profit, but a negotiated sum. The Loud and Clear site does not address the billions in market valuation derived from that value transfer, which the authors and performers believe must be included in the discussion. It's worth taking a closer look how important user data is to Spotify and other streaming platforms. The business objective of streaming platforms is to capture and maintain the consumer's attention for as long as possible with the goal of developing better algorithms. Each second longer or extra interaction the user gives, the more data about the user's habits and tendencies streaming platforms amass, and the better able they are to predict what will keep a user listening. These highly refined algorithms offer suggestions of what to listen to via curated and customized playlists and auto-playing songs after a chosen release has finished. In accurately predicting what a user wants to hear, they provide a value add that encourages the user to switch to a paid subscription or keep paying for their current subscription. These algorithms also help streaming platforms figure out how best to serve users songs by their preferred partners that the users will enjoy and thus listen to again and again. These preferred partners are major labels, large commercial indies, aggregators, and distributors that the streaming platforms have pre-existing relationships with. This can mean partners who are promised, quote, marketing perks as part of their licensing deals, or licensors who are business con whose business interests coincide with the platforms. For example, Spotify's new discovery mode uses the algorithms that Spotify has developed to get the music of certain licensors to users who are statistically most likely to enjoy it. What's the catch? For this very exclusive service, the licensor has to agree to get less to get paid less per stream while their song is in discovery mode. It's essentially payola, pay for plays. As more artists use this feature, the system creates a race to the bottom in which artists must accept lower and lower payments to receive algorithmic priority. These algorithms are not just the neutral calculations of a detached computer. They are very biased tools developed to make platforms and occasionally their preferred partners more money to the detriment of actual organic discovery and commercially underrepresented artists in musical communities. Streaming platforms collect all of this data to develop marketing algorithms that are in turn a quote value add to advertisers 
and hence how Spotify convinces advertisers to pay top dollar for ads on Spotify. These marketing algorithms add huge value to Spotify and allow it to charge a lot of money for advertising campaigns on its platform, which in turn makes their company more valuable and drives up the price of their stocks. Again, artists are compensated nothing for the enormous data-driven value that their music creates for Spotify and its investors. In addition to the issues on per stream rates and the differences in how to share value for digital music platforms and for performers, the report notes that there are issues with lack of information and transparency in the supplied accounting data. According to available studies on digital music services, some data is simply not available, such as the identification of the singing language. Others lack reliability, such as the identification of production countries using ISRC codes. Also, information on royalties per stream is missing. For instance, during the DCMS inquiry, the head of institutional relationship at YouTube refused to provide per stream rates with the argument of YouTube being based on advertising model. Quote, the video streaming activity of YouTube effectively competing with specialist music streaming services, but without proper licenses for the music it streams, nor paying fees similar to those paid by other streaming services. While UMAW has focused our attention on Spotify, YouTube is similarly anti-artist. The company uses so-called safe harbor provisions to avoid paying out even the paltry royalty rates paid by other services. This practice undercuts the entire music market, further depressing musicians' income. Quote, the paying services like Apple and Spotify ultimately have to compete with free, including YouTube and Twitter's manipulation of the safe harbors. This is particularly the case of video or social network services that rely partly on content created and or uploaded by consumers such as YouTube, Yuku, and others. As the EU Parliament debate over the new copyright directive demonstrated, safe harbor laws are massively abused, resulting in value gap problems that distort the market. What are the effects? In addition to impoverishing artists, the UN report argues that streaming's unjust payment systems are destroying cultural systems and violating human rights around the world. The report ties musicians' demands for fairer business models to a larger fight for human rights. They note the Universal Declaration of Human Rights recognizes that, quote, everyone has the right to the protection of the moral and material interests resulting from any scientific, literary, or artistic production of which he is the author. Quote, music value is twofold, not just an object for private pleasure, but also a symbol that helps define what we collectively are. People use music to embody and transmit culture. In fact, every culture has a certain music that can be attached to it. Music is part of the fabric of everyday life. Music is a way to improve people's lives. This cultural value of music is threatened by current practices in digital music. It asserts that the UMAWs and other groups' protests are for more than economic fairness, they are for human rights principles. Quote, 
Preserving the value of music goes beyond discussing the rules for business models in a particular type of market and adopting a wider perspective. We have found that it is possibly for impinging these human rights principles that performers feel outraged by the economic imbalance between the fractions of a penny for their music compared to billions in market value for the streaming platforms. This economic imbalance shocks the conscience, however lawful it may appear. As streaming becomes a greater share of recorded music revenues, the market-centric model may ultimately signal a devaluation and even commoditization of culture. That trend seems def definitively out of step with, if not antithetical to, international cultural goals and preservations. The report acknowledges the humanity of the music creators who make the work that these platforms stream, and that the exploitation of these creators is an impingement on their human rights. Beyond economics, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights recognizes the fundamental truth of the human rights creators of creators. Everyone has a right to the protection of the moral and material interests resulting from any scientific, literary, or artistic production of which he is the author. This basic principle in the Universal Declaration resonates in a host of other human rights documents. Following Eliot, 1990, music value is twofold not just an object for private pleasure, but also a symbol that helps define what we collectively are. People use music to embody and transmit culture. In fact, every culture has a certain music that can be attached to it. Music is part of the fabric of everyday life. Music is a way to improve people's lives. Thus, preserving its value goes beyond discussing the rules for business models in a particular type of market and adopting a wider perspective. The recording industry stresses that, quote, Policymakers should recognize that music has both cultural and economic value. Rules should ensure that all services engaging in distributing music online, regardless of how they operate, negotiate licenses with rights holders in a fair, competitive marketplace. Most major streaming platforms use what is called a big pool system to distribute a share of the platform's revenue to artists by comparing the number of streams for that artist to the total number of streams of all sound recordings on the platform during the time period in question. As a result, an individual user's subscription fee is not divided up according to which artists they actually listen to, and there is a tendency for major label superstars to receive the bulk of the revenue. Two big problems result. One, subscribers end up subsidizing music they do not listen to. And two, payable royalties decline, since subscription fees have been relatively constant over the last decade and revenues haven't kept pace with the increasing number of overall streams. Many artists object to the market-centric model because of low payouts, consumer confusion, and a tendency to disproportionately benefit Anglo-American artists and hit songs in certain genres. Algorithmic playlists hurt artists, consumers, and cultural sustainability. It's not entirely clear how platforms' recommendation algorithms work and the potential they present for eavesdropping and manipulation has raised privacy and fairness concerns. Studies have shown that the imbalances and distortions created by the interplay of these two different forms of editorialization 
both playlist curation and recommendation algorithms, both of which involve the input of, quote, dedicated teams of music experts and are open to manipulation by commercial interests, create barriers to audience access that disproportionately affect independent and emerging artists, not to mention artists outside the Anglo-American mainstream, which in turn hampers the diversity and sustainability of musical culture worldwide. The authors also emphasize the need to fully think through the effect of these features and forces on music's social value. They emphasize the centrality of the musical work and warn against the reduction of musical activity to the creation of a product in competition with other content. When creative music is placed on an already unlevel playing field alongside computer-generated and non-musical content, cultural diversity inevitably suffers. Worst, creation of platforms' own playlists and own tracks might distort the fairness of remuneration to labels and independent performers. For particular rights holders in categories such as relaxing, piano, chill, jazz, the competition from tracks created by platforms themselves using their knowledge of user profiles and their influence on playlists might seem particularly unfair. This is exactly the kind of thing that Amazon does with physical products that it sells and it creates itself. Quote, according to Mariuzo and Ormosi, using data from the UK, the overall effect of the above factors is that major label recorded music has a greater share of the most popular playlists, which really drive streams, than they do in the less popular playlists. If the total share of independent labels in the total UK recorded music market is around 30%, the percentage of independent music in the top 100 playlists in Spotify that drive most of the listening streams and that are basically curated by Spotify is just 19%. As expressed by Antel, Fletcher, and Ormosi, this lack of access is likely to have a direct impact on revenue for independent labels and their artists today, and also an indirect impact on the sustainability of this important segment of the market in the future. So what is the solution? The UN report argues that we need to create a new type of streaming royalty that is paid directly to artists, including non-featured performers. The authors note that streaming does not fall neatly into any existing royalty schemes, and so we must create an entirely new system in order to properly compensate artists and preserve cultural diversity. Our laws on copyright and royalty payments are behind the times, and we need new laws to reflect the complexity of being a musician in the 21st century. The way streaming works for the user, employing both interactive and non-interactive elements, and the way it generates revenue via data collection, venture capital, and investment, as well as ads and subscription fees, are not properly reflected in the royalty structure, which files all streaming rights under one kind of interactive royalty payment. We need to update our royalty structures so that the money flowing into the music industry gets to artists. The UN report recommends the worldwide creation of a new streaming royalty paid to artists, including non-featured performers. This royalty would be paid in addition to all existing royalties paid to songwriters, labels, artists, etc., and would therefore not reduce anyone's payments, 
and would not interfere with existing contracts. The royalty would be paid to artists directly and so would avoid the horrendous deals that record labels force many artists to sign. The report refers to this new royalty as an equitable remuneration or streaming remuneration royalty. The royalties would be paid out through copyright management organizations or CMOs such as Sound Exchange. In the USA, these groups already collect royalties paid directly to artists for plays on satellite radio. Quote, A systemic problem cries out for a systemic solution. Accordingly, this study argues that one solution might be for WIPO member states to revisit the principles of performer equitable remuneration without necessarily disturbing the underlying rights regime. A different approach would be creating a new royalty payment payable by interactive music services in respect of phonograms for communication to the public. Streaming remuneration. Streaming remuneration would not be an expansion of compulsory licensing for phonograms that would trump the existing making available licensing structure or the authority of producers or performers to permit the exploitation of recordings in the streaming configuration. Rather, streaming remuneration would be an additional payment paid by platforms directly to performers and potentially to producers through their CMOs. The plan does not require additional transaction costs as matching and payment information already exists at CMOs, does not require renegotiation of licensing agreements or disrupt current licensing practices. Platforms are already paying similar royalties in certain territories, recognizes value transfer from all performers to platforms, helps to preserve local culture by compensating both featured and non-featured performers. A new royalty system is necessary because streaming is a hybrid system that combines both interactive and passive listening. Some users select which songs they want to hear, for example, interactive listening, while many users simply put on a playlist or a, quote, radio feature and let the platform decide what plays. Passive listening. Because existing royalty structures only recognize a binary of interactive or passive listening, streaming services have been able to get away without properly paying artists. We need a new royalty system that acknowledges that streaming is a hybrid of interactive and passive music consumption. Quote, the study highlights that one potential solution to the imbalance could be to acknowledge the hybrid nature of interactive streaming and enterprise playlists by requiring streaming platforms to pay remuneration directly to performers in a way that is similar to, but distinct, from the current communications to the public payments. This approach avoids expanding the compulsory digital broadcast radio license while maintaining the exclusive rights of producers and does not change the private licensing regime for interactive streaming. This streaming remuneration would be additive and would not diminish existing communication to the public remuneration and would recognize the many benefits that performers confer on streaming platforms that are not compensated by the current royalty regime. The research conducted for this study shows that many that main digital music platforms combine consumption modes considered not fully interactive, that is, they require a limited degree of interaction by the consumer, together with modes of full interactivity, in which the consumer decisively intervenes to reproduce a certain musical theme. The business model for interactive streaming that has evolved since the adoption of the Internet Treaties in 1996 combines rights collected by producers and independent artists compensated under the Making Available Right with the Lean Back Enterprise Playlist model, 
that is easily analogized to broadcast radio. While consumers may always be able to use interactive functionality in addition to music discovery enterprise playlists, a large number of users simultaneously take advantage of music discovery or lean back playlists. UMAW has long supported a switch to a user-centric system in which artists are paid out based on how many times their songs are streamed by users. Such a system would contrast with Spotify's current big pool or pro rata system in which streaming revenues are placed into a big pot and then paid out based on the proportion of streams that an artist received on the platform. Based on current data, it appears that user-centric will not offer a significant enough change for performer ven revenues and would not impact non-featured performers at all. While user-centric is a step in the right direction that UMAW continues to support, it would not solve the problem. The creation of a new streaming remuneration must be prioritized. Quote, While user-centric model might better connect actual listening to royalties paid, the overall distribution of royalties would remain in the imbalance between billions in market valuation and fractions of a penny in streaming payments would likely remain. Fan-driven micropayments are not enough. Platforms such as Spotify and Tencent operate micropayment or tip systems, which allow users to choose to send money directly to artists. While in some cases this system may get more money to artists, it does nothing to address the systemic problems with streaming royalties. Moreover, it places the burden for paying artists on users instead of on the tech companies earning billions in value off artists' work. Quote, The direct micropayment model has been used for some years in digital streaming services such as Tencent's QQ Music 109 and in fan, fan club-type subscription services such as Patreon and OnlyFans. During 2021, SoundCloud has also announced its intention to adopt a direct payment model to artists. This virtual gift model could also be considered a form of user-centric in the sense of users deciding which artists to pay. It must be noted that platforms often take a share of micropayments as a processing fee. In Tencent's case, these fees accounted for more than 70% of Tencent music revenue. A new streaming royalty is a solution that can be implemented internationally and will benefit artists around the world. All over the world, artists are fighting back against an unsustainable streaming economy. The report cites the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers campaign, calling on dominant streaming platform Spotify to pay artists fairly and to abandon exploitative business practices. Concerns, are, concerns addressed in the report about inequities in streaming are reflected in UMAW campaign demands, such as payment of one cent per stream to artists, ending payola practices and closed-door contracts, and crediting of labor in recordings, among others. To date, 28,140 artists internationally have signed the demands, and on March 15, 2021, UMAW organized a global in-person action at Spotify offices in 15 cities around the world to deliver the demands. David Rovix has been outspoken on the issue and the impacts of streaming services and their uh, reduction of um, income for artists, for working artists, 
And he has endorsed the concept of a penny a play, even writing a song about it. If each time a song were streamed, I received one set. This is exactly what I'd need each month to pay the rent. And on David Rovix's website, you can find some more background on the whole movement, the whole push for a penny a play. As the dominant global vulture capitalist streaming platform, Spotify expands its catalog. The payout per song streamed is continually decreasing. Recent research of this very opaque, even downright secretive Stockholm-based corporation indicates. As does Spotify, so do the other platforms. That's how competition works. This race to the bottom must stop or else the only the biggest stars among musicians of the world stand any chance of financial survival. It won't stop by itself and we can't count on big tech, big music or deregulation obsessed bought off governments of the world to save us. Why a penny? It's only somewhat arbitrary. More than anything, it's a place to start. There must be a clear, simple floor. A minimum wage for streams measured per stream, not through some mysterious algorithm. The small fraction of a cent artists get from Spotify is an insult. We the undersigned would rather return to the age of music piracy than suffer this death by a thousand streams. Why not start a new platform? Yes, and why not start a social media alternative to Facebook while you're at it? It's been done. It's not working. The multi-trillion dollar infrastructure has been laid out for us by Spotify and their vulture capitalist backers. Forming a new platform is like inviting people to walk in the dark on the cow paths instead of cruising down the well-lit, well-paved highways. People will tend to take the path of least resistance. If there's a highway and there's no bike lanes, people will drive cars. If your cell phone comes bundled with Spotify and you can find all the world's music on it for free, you will do so. It cannot be left up to consumer choice whether musicians live or die, and it should not be up to faceless vulture capitalists percent pretending to be hip lovers of music and freedom. There must be an even playing field that can be clearly understood. A penny a play, no exceptions, no confusion. But won't this destroy their streaming model? The well-paid financial wizards of big tech while raking in trillions while running the world's biggest and most profitable corporations can play their shell games and pretend to be losing money. They're not. In fact, big tech is directly responsible for the greatest stratification of wealth in the history of humanity, along with the servile governments that actively facilitate this process. We are clear that what is good for big tech or big music the three massive record labels that dominate the global corporate music business, is not what is good for independent musicians around the globe. The model they've created was broken to begin with, and it's getting more broken by the year. Whatever business model for a streaming platform that any corporation wants to employ should begin with the idea of fair compensation at its core, not as a hypothetical, eventual side effect. The trillions that big tech has already made off independently created content would seem to indicate the possibility that, if under sufficient pressure, they can find a less starvation-oriented business model. Who do you think you are? 
I'm David Rovix, the initiator of this campaign. I have no ambition to become a full-time campaigner, but I'm going to do what I can to try to move this from an idea for a campaign to an actual campaign. I've been making a living as a touring musician since the 90s, so I've experienced a lot of seismic changes in how everything works or doesn't work. I am a big supporter of Creative Commons, and I've been freely giving away my music online since the invention of the MP3. At the time, it was a great way to challenge the domination of big music over the ears of the world. But in the age of corporate streaming platforms run by vulture capitalists, it's a whole different situation. The battle lines have changed, and we must change our strategies with them. This does not mean we are embracing Trump's intellectual property agenda or Big Pharma's drug patents or anything like that. This is more a campaign of contract workers against their employers. Even if no one considers us to be contract workers, and Spotify certainly doesn't consider itself to be our employer. Why do you call them vulture capitalists? Vulture capitalism is a term used reserved, usually reserved for big financial types who buy the debts of countries that have defaulted on their debts, so that they can then threaten and bully and otherwise try to force them to pay their debts that they can't afford to pay. If the vulture capitalists are successful, they make a lot of money because they bought these debts at pennies on the dollar. Similarly, you would need a million streams a month on Spotify for a year just to pay for making a high-quality studio recording. To then actually make any profit beyond expenses on the recording, you'd need to get millions more streams per month. Some few stars and viral sensations win this lottery and get such attention. The overwhelming majority of working musicians get streams more in the thousands or tens of thousands. For us, the difference between one-tenth of a cent and one cent per stream is a difference between paying the rent and not paying the rent. And it's certainly far from what would be needed to finance the recording in the first place. That's making money off someone else's debt. Vulture capitalism. And the text of the Penny a Stream pledge is as follows. We the undersigned agree. All corporate streaming platforms should immediately start paying at least one cent per song streamed to the rights owners of the songs played. If they are unable to comply, they should shut down their operations immediately and stop stealing our work. We are not seeking to withdraw from any platforms or create a new platform with this demand. We are seeking nothing less than an even playing field on all corporate streaming platforms, the global abolition of corporate thievery from independent artists. We demand streaming justice now. And so we see and hear from the UN report and, and from the piece by David Rovix that these corporations are making billions of dollars. Spotify's valuation in the previous story, which has probably changed and probably higher by now, was $66 billion. So what happens to that money? Well, a lot of that money goes to the uh, corporate executives of these corporations. And here's a story about how one of those corporate executives is spending their money or maybe investing their money. This is by R this is published at RA.co and is written by Anu Shukla. Spotify users and artists have responded to CEO Daniel Ek's 100 million euro investment in AI defense tech company, 
Helsing. On November 9th, Eck announced the investment into the British-German company, whose technology will initially be sold to the French, British, and German militaries. As part of the deal, Eck is also joining Helsing's board. Helsing says it will use, quote, world-leading AI technology for defense and national security to provide information advantage for democratic governments and keep liberal democracies from harm. The 100 million euro deal, which arrives via X 1 billion euro Prima Materia investment company, has angered some Spotify users who responded to X tweet by closing accounts and jumping ship to competitors like Bandcamp and Tidal. Some supported the hashtag campaign to boycott Spotify. Ambient dub fusion music producer Darian Sangita was among them. Quote, AI means using computers and process information a hundred times faster so they accurately deliver a higher kill ratio, Singita told Resident Advisor. Music is being used as a weapon. I can't sign up for that, so I've already unsubscribed and now plan to take all my music down from Spotify. We believe in music as a powerful tool for peace. Otherwise, it's a complete contradiction of our music philosophy. According to the software data company Pitchbrook, Helsing will, quote, develop software comprising artificial intelligence to integrate data from infrared video sonar and radio frequencies gleaned from sensors on military vehicles to create a real-time picture of the battlefields, enabling clients to execute faster and more reliable decisions to kill people. Now, I added the to kill people part, but it fits. Independent cybersecurity experts and content delivery advisor Maurizio Monti told RA what this means. They're saying they will consolidate a huge amount of information, process it at a billion times faster, then apply it to information captured by tanks, drones, and satellites, and reach battlefield conclusions in seconds instead of weeks, he said. Users like Sangita have long been comparing alternatives to Spotify and have been prompted to pay subscriptions to platforms like Tidal, while using third-party service providers like TuneMind Music and Soundees to transfer playlists to other platforms. Quote, This shows that money will start filtering towards Spotify's competitors, Sangita added. I want to see them lose 100 million euros because they need to see consumer choice as powerful and dangerous to their business model. RA checked the Twitter response to X post and found some 80% of its respondents weren't happy with the decision while 95% of retweets about the news were also negative. Another critic was Australian vaporware producer Blue Screen. Quote, War is hell, he told RA. There's nothing ethical about it, no matter how you spin it. I also left because it became apparent very quickly that Spotify's CEO, as all billionaires, only got rich off the exploitation of others. As an artist, I cannot morally agree with inadequate payments of royalties to those whose entire livelihood is the reason for Daniel Eck's success. He added, I will continue to support and use Bandcamp as the only platform that is constantly given better rates and community support. UK-based Spotify user Scott Darby also left the platform in response to X announcement. Quote, long-time Spotify subscriber from 2007 here, Cancelled my subscription today because of this. 
But one techno label executive who chose to remain anonymous told RA that Spotify's huge share in the streaming market makes, quote, a lot of labels reluctant to start pulling content, which protect it from facing huge repercussions of any boycott movement. Ariane Ashuri, label manager at London outlet Outellectual, said, quote, it would be career suicide to ditch Spotify as too much blood, sweat and tears has gone into building a following. I don't agree with what they're doing, but it's not a personal decision, Ashori told RA. We represent about 150 different artists, and I wouldn't be able to pull the plug on the behalf of so many people either. Palestine's Radio Alhara is only affiliated to Spotify via its resident DJs. There's no judgment against artists who ditch or stay with the service, co-founder Elias Anastas told RA. We can't judge artists' decisions. We need to remain critical of the system. And do what we can to combat it. Brooklyn-based jazz, jazz percussionist, tabla player, and composer Samir Gupta is taking a particularly proactive approach. As well as canceling his Spotify subscription and taking down most of his music catalog, he's now encouraging others to do the same by offering a 95% discount on his entire band camp to anyone else who is canceling their Spotify this has been a long time coming anyway, but the Spotify CEO's desire to invest in war AI tech was a proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, Gupta told RA. Gupta said he had 8 to 10 albums on Spotify, but said he can't pull everything off Spotify because in the spirit of collaboration is not entirely my choice to do so in every case. He added, it's important we don't let the power of music be co-opted by the corporate agenda. We, as lovers and creators of music, have the power to steer the industry in a direction we want. So, there are some of the issues with Spotify, Next, but those certainly aren't all the issues with Spotify. We heard about the algorithms from the UN report. Here's a piece published at InputMag.com, written by Matt Willey. Spotify, self-proclaimed bestie to millions of music lovers around the world, wants to listen in on your every conversation and use the information it gleans for profit. The prospect of using voice recognition technology to boost targeted ads is creepy and manipulative at every level, and artists are ready to take a stand against it. Evan Greer, deputy director of activist group Fight for the Future, just released a new song, called Surveillance Capitalism as part of a larger protest against Spotify's decision to target ads through voice recognition tech. The song is an indie punk bop with a strong message. Corporations are using invasive methods to gather information about us and then profiting from it. Here is Evan Greer's song, Surveillance Capitalism. We live in capitalism. Its power seems inescapable. So did the divine right of kings. Once consent was manufactured. Now it's harvested for clicks. Algorithms make decisions Filter 
bubbles make us sick We're all connected to machines Hate every second but we just can't look away We all want to be seen but behind the screen There's a nightmare dressed up as a dream And we can't wake up And you can find that track, Surveillance Capitalism, off the album titled Spotify is Surveillance. And you find that on Bandcamp and elsewhere. Back to the piece from Input Mag. Quote, we're all connected to machines, Greer sings. Hate every second, but we just can't look away. We all want to be seen, but behind the screen, there's a nightmare dressed up as a dream. You're not alone if you haven't heard much about Spotify's planned surveillance tech. The company has done a pretty good job of keeping it on the down low. A few years ago, Spotify filed a patent for an always-on system that listens to a user's conversations and uses that information to detect, quote, emotional state, gender, age, or accent, amongst other indicators, to recommend music and ads. That patent has now been approved for Spotify's express use. This approval prompted some outrage and open letters to Spotify's upper management from advocate groups like Access Now. The technology is intrusive for one thing. It has the potential for opening up huge issues like emotional manipulation and gender discrimination, Access Now says. Spotify's tendency towards greed is not a new issue, but this latest patent sets a new bar 
for the company's profit-driven ways. That's why artists like Greer are making their voices heard on the matter. Quote, The fact that Spotify filed a patent for this type of emotional surveillance and manipulation is beyond chilling, Greer says. It's not enough for them to say that they have no plans to use this technology right now. They should publicly commit to never conducting this type of surveillance on music listeners. Fight for the Future's Stop Spotify Surveillance campaign hopes to bring more public attention to the issues at hand. And here's a recent piece written by Grace Petrie, published at ClashMusic.com. When the pandemic came into focus, Grace Petrie was thousands of miles from home. Attempting to navigate the Australian leg of her sold-out tour, lockdown saw the songwriter pack her bags and head home, her future suddenly uncertain. Working in a frenzied fashion, Grace Petrie polished off a new album, the critically praised Connectivity, and took part in a special project, raising over 11,000 pounds for The Big Issue by posting covers on YouTube. Maintaining her fan base through relentless hard work, independently released new album Connectivity upturned expectations by gate-crashing the charts. It's a result made all the more remarkable for the way it was released, with Grace Petrie eschewing the major streaming services for a more direct-to-fans approach. Reflecting on her unexpected success, Grace Petrie writes for Clash about what she's learned and what path the future may take. Last week was a big one for me. Against all odds, Connectivity, my new unsigned and independently funded album, got into the charts, debuting at 37 in the overall chart, reaching number two in the independent albums chart and topping the UK downloads chart. Whilst it would be fun for me to pretend that this heralds some sign of previously unseen music industry significance, the real story behind this unbelievable result was one of pure fan power. When the record was released, we at GPHQ realized that the pre-orders numbered enough that we might just be in with a chance. After 12 years as an unsigned artist, I had long since accepted that things like the chart were beyond my reach. But we were so close. If we missed out by a couple of hundred sales because I hadn't given it everything, I knew I'd regret it. So against my better judgment and feeling incredibly silly, I put out a call to arms on social media, asking listeners to please, if they like my music, make sure to actually buy it, and before the chart closed Thursday night. The response was breathtaking. In the next 24 hours, 678 people bought the record from Bandcamp alone. I am unspeakably lucky to have the support of a community I have picked up over a decade of touring in just about any lineup that will have me. Comments across the social platforms were filled with encouragement and screenshots of the downloaded record, but among them, like a black fly in my Chardonnay, was one stubbornly resounding question. Why isn't it on Spotify? The decision to hold back the album from streaming sites, or the most unethically run ones anyway, was taken extremely heavily. I lost sleep over it. Artists are so conditioned to believe Spotify is the big prize draw, and if you play, you might just pull the golden ticket. Have your song chosen for an official playlist, going out to millions of people. So who would rule themselves out of that? 
not to mention the almost hegemonic cultural status that it now holds, with promoters now routinely checking your play count to decide if you're a good booking. We need gigs, and we are told relentlessly that we need those numbers to look healthy to get them. Ultimately, though, nearly two years' worth of touring income lost to lockdown made the decision for me, and with studio debt still to pay, I couldn't afford to give the record away for fractions of pennies per play, at least until it had paid for itself. When I explained to those looking in the stream to stream the album that I needed instead to sell it for a fair price, most of them were only too happy to download it. And please don't get me wrong, I am unbelievably grateful for them all. But that gratitude shouldn't stop me from saying that the number of people who needed to be given a tangible reason to actually buy music they already wanted was staggering and worrying. Listen, it is truly not my intention to chastise people. But as an artist who has been lucky enough to make a music career viable, I think I have a responsibility to give voice to my growing discomfort that the ladder I climbed has disappeared beneath me. As a teenager in the 2000s, I snuck into the music business through a window left open by MySpace and later Bandcamp, which allowed me to sell music directly, and through the generosity of other artists, found a fan base as a support act. Selling self-released shoestring budget-made CDs at those shows paid my rent for a decade. Now CDs are on their way to extinction. I realized that if I was 10 years younger, I never would have been able to make the leap into being a full-time musician. And while there are plenty who say that's no great loss, the reality is that our current model of virtually unpaid streaming could kill independent music completely. In most ways, the internet has made music more accessible to unsigned voices. You don't need to hire the studio these days. Anyone with a microphone and a laptop can theoretically record. But as the streaming market becomes completely saturated with largely uncompensated music, the expectation that artists will pay for things like press agents, high-quality photo and video materials, and advertising to get their stuff heard hasn't diminished. If anything, the reliance on those things has grown. And if music costs money to make but doesn't pay, we risk turning it into a pastime of the rich. Streaming may be convenient, but if people stop buying altogether, then artists without money will be priced out. And those truly independent voices that labels and press and industry won't support will be the first ones we lose. And there's Grace echoing the concerns from that UN report about the loss of the ability for music to be someone's career if they are not in this upper echelon or already rich. It is uh, shameful and destructive and why the UN report is concerned that it is damaging to culture. From her new album, Connectivity, this is Grace Petrie with We've Got an Office in Hackney. You got your first real six string Got your heart full of pain You got the makings there, kid Of a lucrative campaign You got your story and your spirit You got a rock and roll dream 
We've got an office in Hackney We've got a really cool team Cos we love your authentic Lonely outsider type The big up that aesthetic On your socials for the hype Whoever said the revolution Wouldn't be televised They didn't have our contacts yet They didn't have our PR guys But I was Get out this guitar And like so many folk before me Use it to open up my scars And I don't know if it's helping Or if it's driving me insane I'm just after confirmation, yeah That somebody feels the same Yeah, I'm reaching out for a lifeline Fighting the tide, yeah And trying to work out why If my name is up in lights I'll be following these dreams The same way I've been doing Since the middle of my teens If there's a single person out there To whom this song something means I'd take one lonely broken heart Over a hundred million streams got this six string still got my heart full of pain and I don't know how to fix things but I'm still in the game maybe I don't know what the point is maybe I'm never gonna see but long as anybody's listening this is where you'll find me Once again, that is We've Got an Office in Hackney. That is from Grace Petrie's album, Connectivity. Finally, for this episode, a piece by Charlie Bird, published at jacobinmag.com.
In Perry Hensel's 1972 cult classic, The Harder They Come, aspiring singer Ivan Martin reluctantly accepts a degrading offer of $20 for his hit single from Kingston's most powerful music label boss, Hilton, who infamously replies that he makes the hits, not the public. Ivan attempts to break the system of injustice and payola to no avail. Eventually, he's forced into criminal activity to pay the bills while his record tops the Jamaican charts. The Harder They Come serves as a representation of an industry built on the foundations of exploitation. With the advent of Web 2.0, where musicians and independent labels could release music to a globally connected audience with very low marginal costs, some argue that the industry would be democratized. In turn, all artists could make a good living, while independent labels could compete on a more equal playing field with major record companies. However, like most visions of digital utopia, this has turned out to be far from reality. The market share of big tech in the music industry has vastly increased over the last few years. Streaming has replaced recorded music as the largest source of income within the industry, and digital platforms wield ever more predatory power. During the pandemic, artists have largely relied on digital streaming platforms for their livelihood due to enforced bans on live performance and inadequate state support. In the UK, over a quarter of those in the music industry did not qualify for the self-employed income support scheme. As musicians depend on live gigs, the structural issues of streaming were brought into sharp focus, with artists forced to accept race-to-the-bottom royalty payments as their only source of income. The lockdown streaming boom has further consolidated the position of major streaming platforms, leading to increased inequality and inequitable pay. Major labels use their structural advantage to garner large profits at the expense of independent labels and musicians while the gamification of success attempts to pit atomized musicians against each other. As cultural critic Liz Pelly writes in The Baffler, Spotify has a, quote, uber-like model for independent artists. Spotify's most marketable asset is its algorithm, which seeks to commodify users' tastes with suggestions and curated playlists. Using surveillance, the platform aims to rival Facebook and Google as an advertising space. Through secretive contracts unknown to the public, algorithms and branded playlists guide people towards listening to the same artists represented by the major labels, resembling the exclusionary payola seen in The Harder They Come. Labels pay or accept lower royalty fees in return for increased exposure from Spotify through curated playlists and their algorithm, such as in Spotify's pay-for-play scheme. Only artists who are subservient to the culture industry tend to succeed with streaming. The top 1% of artists account for 78 to 80% of streams, and Sherry Hu has concluded that only 0.4% of artists in the UK, 1,723, make a living from streaming, and the majority of that number are signed to majors. Coupled with devastating cuts to music funding, more and more artists come from privileged backgrounds and working-class musicians are increasingly financially excluded. As Dan Hancock notes in Inner City Pressure, the story of grime, this is a trend that has been proliferating since New Labor's New Deal 
1998, which excluded musicians from claiming the dole. Last year, the Musicians' Union called for a universal basic income to increase public funding for the industry. As Nick Cernasek suggests in Platform Capitalism, platforms have monopoly tendencies. Their, quote, network effects, where value increases with more users, mean it's almost impossible for smaller platforms to enter the market and compete effectively. Once a streaming platform is able to establish itself and become significant, it can put more music in its catalog, leading to more subscriptions and ultimately more valuable user data. Earlier this year, a parliamentary inquiry into the streaming market suggested a complete reset of the streaming market, and it was announced that the CMA, Competition and Markets Authority, will be launching a study on the back of those recommendations. However, attempts at regulation of natural monopolies are often ineffectual and tend to reinforce the neoliberal tenets of competition, atomization, and exploitation. Parliamentary action has been forced by calls from the Musicians' Union and the Ivers Academy. In the United States, the Union of Musicians and Allied Workers also launched the Justice at Spotify campaign in 2020, gaining over 4,000 signatures from music industry workers who made a number of demands to Spotify. Although the collective action of workers is vital to the struggle against the exploitative practices of big tech, this can only be a short-term solution. Justice will only be served once music is removed from the logic of the free market. There has been a recent drift towards using more equitable platforms, such as Bandcamp and Resonate, as well as the membership service Patreon. These platforms are more artist-friendly and have been a lifeline for many during the pandemic. However, again, they are short-term solutions that rely on artists already having a substantial fan base to earn a decent wage. Musicians have still expressed their frustration at low rates of pay for the streaming of their work on Bandcamp. To change the current paradigm, regulatory proposals must be put forward in conjunction with more fundamental long-term changes in the ownership and control of digital platforms. A publicly funded streaming platform in which music is seen as a public good to be universally accessed, collectively owned, and controlled by the people would democratize the music industry and create a more sustainable digital economy. As Commonwealth write in their report, A Common Platform, digital cooperatives often face two problems. First, it's difficult for a cooperative to attract ethical funding for their enterprises. Second, digital cooperatives are still motivated by profit and therefore do not separate art from commodification. Akin to the advent of public cultural resources, such as libraries, art galleries, and public archives. A streaming commons would be a public platform where state funding replaces the investment of venture capital. It is important that with no algorithm and playlist gatekeeping, a streaming commons would reduce the inequality between independent and major labels, as well as prevent surveillance and data commodification. Through democratization and collective ownership, algorithms could be made transparent and accountable thereby ensuring privacy and data protection in line with the wants and needs of the public. The current streaming model was not built with artists in mind. The interests of large corporate labels, streaming platforms, and venture capital aim to ensure that the system remains unchanged and serves their interests, while the exploitation of artists and the devaluation of their music 
continues. Contrary to the opinion of Rishi Sunak and the conservative government, all musicians, commercially viable or not, can be adequately resourced. Music should not be simply content used to sell advertising to corporate brands. Designed to serve artists, workers, and the public, a commonly owned cooperative streaming model would rescue the radical potential of streaming platforms from predatory pricing, surveillance capitalism, and financialization. And I think this piece gets, gets back to the promise of the internet, the promise of the democratization of the internet. The internet provides a remarkable capacity for each of us to reach others, to reach a, a broader and wider audience. Without it, I, you wouldn't be hearing me. Without it, you wouldn't be instantly communicating with people you know, in your, in your sphere, you wouldn't be hearing some of the music that you hear. The, the challenge is to amplify and hang on to and promote those, uh, democratizing features and functions and benefits of the internet while minimizing the capacity of the major corporations and the vulture capitalists to dominate and control the content, control who sees the content with their algorithms and their walled gardens. Um, so it is a very, very tough battle to fight, but it's an important one. And that'll wrap up this episode of You Can't Be Neutral. Remember, you can follow You Can't Be Neutral on Twitter at YCBNeutral. You can find all the back episodes at YouCan'tBeNeutral.com. You can listen to this and all my uh, podcasts playing 24-7 at movingtrainradio.com.